The Bradford Exchange presents The Classic Radio Theater with your host, Carl Amari. Countdown for blast off. X minus one. Yes, it's Maxwell House Coffee Time, starring George Burns and Gracie Allen. Richard Diamond, private detective. The Johnson Wax Program with Fibber McGee and Molly. Suspense. It's time once again for another comedy episode of Our Miss Brooks. Dragnet. We offer you escape. Kraft presents the Great Gildersleeve. Yeah. I'm that man. Matt Dillon, United States Marshal. Good evening, friends of the Inner Sanctum. The Jack Benny Program. Welcome, everyone, to episode 70 of the Classic Radio Theater. Each week, the Bradford Exchange and participating sponsors bring you three hours of the Classic Radio Theater, featuring programming from the golden age of radio. This time, we'll hear two half-hour detective episodes of yours truly, Johnny Dollar. We'll begin after this short break. As originally conceived, Johnny Dollar was a smart, tough, wisecracking detective who tossed silver dollar tips to waiters and bellhops. Dick Powell starred in the 1948 recorded pilot, but withdrew from the role in favor of other projects. Charles Russell landed the part, and early on, Dollar's expertise was deeply established in insurance fraud investigation. By the fall of 1949, yours truly Johnny Dollar came to CBS Radio and chronicled the transcribed adventures of America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator, the man with the action-packed expense account. For 12 years, it was one of the most popular detective shows on the air, lasting until the final days of network radio drama in 1962. Each story started with a telephone call from an insurance executive calling on Johnny Dollar to investigate an unusual claim. Over the years, many actors portrayed Johnny Dollar, including John Lund and Edmund O'Brien, but in 1955, Bob Bailey took over as the series was switching to a new dynamic format of 75-minute storylines told in five 15-minute installments Monday through Friday. In 1956, CBS retooled the show, which reverted to a weekly half-hour drama airing on late Sunday afternoons. Bob Bailey continued in the leading role until 1960. Roy Rowan was the announcer, who was also the announcer on CBS's I Love Lucy. While other radio shows were waning in the mid-1950s, yours truly, Johnny Dollar, was at its peak. By 1960, Bob Reddick played the lead, giving way to Mandel Kramer, who became radio's last Johnny Dollar. Time now for the first of two detective episodes of yours truly, Johnny Dollar. In this first episode, Dollar must solve the riddle of a missing emerald and a missing jeweler. Here's the blooming blossom matter, starring Bob Bailey from January 20th, 1957. From Hollywood, it's time now for... Johnny Dollar. Paul Brennan, Inter-Allied Insurance Company, Johnny. Oh, hi, Paul. How's the world doing by you? Oh, I got troubles. Oh? Like what? Like Albert W. Winkler. Winkler? Who's he? Maybe you mean who was he? Well, which is it? Well, that's the trouble, Johnny. We don't know. Huh? Well, he's disappeared, and with him, a hunk of emerald worth exactly 100,000 clams. Wow. Well? Sure. Bob Bailey in the exciting adventures of a man with the action-packed expense account. America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator... Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to the Inter-Allied Insurance Company, Dawson Building, Hartford, Connecticut. Following is an account of expenses incurred during my investigation of the Blooming Blossom matter. Expense account item one, a dollar even. Taxi from my apartment to the offices of Inter-Allied, where Paul Brennan wasted no time in getting to the point. Albert Winkler was a partner in a small jewelry firm down in New York. Real exclusive type place. Lord and Winkler? Yeah, that's the outfit. Well, a few days ago, they got hold of an emerald. It's called the Green Eye of Calcutta. And Johnny, the darn thing's big enough to choke a horse. Okay, Paul, okay. I don't think you need to go any further. No, wait. 
They planned to put it on an exhibition at the big international jewelry show in Chicago next month, and Winkler took it home to work on it. Oof. Insured for a hundred thousand, you said. Yeah, and Winkler's insured for ten. Okay, so who killed him and stole the rock? Listen, will you? Go ahead. Well, Sunday morning, his partner Blewett tried to phone him at his apartment. No answer. So Blewett sauntered down to the office, thinking he might be there. But no sign of him. Right. Nor of the green eye of Calcutta. Only a note Winkler had left the night before, saying he was taking the stone home to work on it. Well, that makes it look as though maybe Winkler. Listen. About that time, the phone rang there in the office. It was the police department, also looking for Winkler. Oh. Yeah, they'd been called by Winkler's landlord after a chambermaid had found his apartment completely ransacked and the old boy missing. Uh-oh. Who's working on it? For the NYPD, I mean. Uh, Sergeant Randy Singer, 18th Precinct, Homicide. Old friend of yours, I believe. Yeah, good man. Has he come up with anything? Nothing. Well, Johnny? Sure, Paul. Now? Now. Item two, another dollar for a taxi back to my apartment where I slicked the stubble off my face, showered, dressed, and was about to head for New York when the phone rang. Johnny Dollar. Johnny Dollar? That's right. Oh, good. Well, who's that? Oh, yes, of course, Mr. Dollar. Huh? I must talk with you, sir. It's important, very important. Well, who are you? Me? This is Wilbert Kenworthy Blossom. Yes, and I must see you right away. Well, what's this all about, Mr. Uh, Blossom, did you say? Oh, why, that's right. How did you know that? Oh. Is this some kind of a gag? It certainly is not. And to think that now I'll be working with you on a... Oh, it's wonderful. Just wonderful. What are you talking about? Why, you. Don't you see? I follow every single one of your cases, sir. Either in the newspapers or on the radio. Oh, I'm your biggest fan. Is, uh, is that all you call to say, Mr. Blossom? It is not. I'm calling about the mysterious disappearance of Mr. Albert Winkler. Winkler? You know something about him, his whereabouts? I certainly do. Where are you, Mr. Blossom? Uh, here at my house in New York, and I'll be waiting for you, sir. Goodbye. No, wait. Give me your address. Oh, yes, of course. How could you know where to come if I hadn't given you that? Yeah. <laughs> that was silly of me. Well, goodbye. The address, man, the address. Oh, oh of course. It's 825 East 73rd Street. <laughs> Item three, $9.20, transportation and incidentals to New York City and 825 East 73rd Street. It turned out to be one of New York's famous old brownstone houses, well-preserved and reeking of an era long past, when the city's wealthy and elite had built row on row of these monuments to a now-forgotten financial aristocracy. Oh, come in, Mr. Dollar. Come in. I'm Wilbert Kenworthy Blossom, and I cannot tell you how thrilled I am to be working with you on this. I don't know how to describe it, but I'll try. The inside of Blossom's home was unbelievable. Ornate pre-Victorian furnishings, heavy velvet draperies, huge lamps and chandeliers, gilt-framed mirrors, even an ancient horsehair sofa. It was also filled with dusty piles of newspapers and magazines, hundreds of old books. Travel books, Mr. Dollar, and mysteries. Oh, I just love mysteries. One corner of the high-ceiling living room was piled with old trunks and handbags, an old carpet bag, even. Boxes of tools and utensils were stacked about, an ancient Victrola, beat-up sewing machine. You just never know when you might want to sew something, do you? Old guns and pistols, some of them museum pieces, a stringless tennis racket, a pair of rusty handcuffs locked to the base of a floor lamp without a shade. A broken bicycle pump. That's just in case I ever find a bicycle to go with it, you understand. Uh, yes. Against one wall stood an old metal cabinet loaded with rusty surgical instruments and a worn-out catcher's mitt. Yet directly opposite was a corner shelf full of priceless porcelain figurines and rare pieces of china. Some of the old clocks and jewelry on the mantelpiece were collector's items. Fine original oil paintings lay among piles of old shoes. All in all, it looked as though the contents of half a dozen pawn shops had been dumped into it. At auction sales, Mr. Dollar. Oh, yes, sir. I just cannot resist an auction sale or a bargain. But what are you going to do with all this stuff? Oh, just keep it. I like it. I like a lot of things. Yeah, so I see. Including 12 gross expensive superlative steel tip shoelaces patented 1841. But they were a bargain, Mr. Dollar. Just like all this fine artwork is, too. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Some of my friends pampered me a bit, though. You know, send me things they pick up at sale. Yeah, now look, Mr. Blossom, you told me you know something about Albert W. Winkler. Oh, yes. Yes, indeed. Well? And think of that magnificent emerald. 
gone. Disappeared. Yeah, but now you said... And that poor Intralite Insurance Company. Oh, my. That's how I knew you would be called on this case. But a hundred thousand dollars... And ten thousand dollars on Mr. Winkler. Well, at least they're off the hook on him until he's proved dead. Aha. And that's where I come in. With proof. Proof? What proof? Have you seen Winkler? Mr. Dollar, I have. Well, where is he? You understand, of course, that I know Mr. Winkler very well because I've seen him at his office so many times. Yeah, okay, go on. Oh, go on. yes, indeed. Such beautiful, beautiful jewelry he had there. And, of course, he was always trying to buy some of the things I But had. you say you've seen him. Where? Well, Saturday I'd planned with a couple of old friends to attend a railroad auction. Uh, that was the Canyon City and Metropolitan Railroad. Winkler was there at the auction sale? Oh, uh, yes. Did you speak to him? Oh, no. Well, why not? You said you knew him. Oh, I didn't go to the auction. I wasn't feeling very well that day. I had a little... <clears throat> a little cough. <sighs> It was kind of like that. Then how do you know he was there? My friends went, and at least they talked about going. Mr. Blossom. And I'm sure you... they did, too, because they sent me something from... And what do you suppose it was? I don't know. I don't care. Now, look here. You got it me It was to... the very thing that has solved this whole case for you. What? And think of it. This dull, drab, dreary life of mine has suddenly become... Why, it's almost like a mystery story, isn't it? Adventure and... Look, Mr. Blossom, and think would of it. you... Think of it. I'm being a detective. I'm working with my idol, the famous Johnny Dollar. Oh, George. Mr. Blossom, what did they send you? What's that? Oh, oh yes, of course. Um, uh, here. Here it is, sir. It's right here between the erector set and the golf clubs. This old trunk? That's right. Oh, great Scott, you think you do. But at first, of course, I, I thought of calling the police. But knowing all about you... Mr. Blossom, let me see that. Excuse me. There are a lot of crumpled newspapers on top. Yeah, I see. As old as the trunk. Good Lord. It, uh, It isn't pretty, is it? Sergeant Randy Singer, homicide. Randy, Johnny Dollar, get somebody over to 825 East 73rd Street right away, will you? Body of Albert Winkler. Randy got there in a matter of minutes, got the same story from Blossom that I had, then called for the lab crew to come and take over. Now, now, who delivered this trunk, Mr. Blossom? But it was just, uh, just a delivery man. Can you describe him? Would you know him if you saw him? Yeah, well, he was big and strong. He was very strong. Distinguishing features, scars or a limp or a beard or well, something? Well, I told you, Johnny, he was big and strong. How old? Well, I would say he was somewhere between 25 and, um... Yeah? 50. Uh, yes, I'm sure. Well, that's a lot of help. Yeah, you better have those thick spectacles changed. But he was big. Yes, we know, and strong. What about his truck? Oh, I didn't see that. He left it outside. No. Now, look. These friends of yours who did attend the auction, who were they? Oh, oh yes. Now the investigation proceeds. Now the excitement... Who were they, Mr. Blossom? Uh, oh. Well, there's uh, Randolph Harrison and Percival... Randy Singer took down the names of Blossom's three auction-minded friends... The lab crew arrived, Randy took off to dig up Blossom's friends, and I took a cab, that's item 480 cents, to the apartment of Elwood Blewett, Winkler's partner in the jewelry business. Blewett lived alone in a modest but tastefully furnished five or six rooms on East 52nd Street. Of course, Mr. Dollar, I'll be glad to help you all I can. Albert's death has been a terrible blow. Yes, well, tell me this, please. Yes? Did Mr. Winkler make a habit of taking valuable pieces of jewelry to his residence? Yes, Albert often took pieces home with him to work on them, clean, polish, and so on. Wasn't that a rather dangerous practice? Frankly, I always thought so, but he felt there was far more chance of being robbed if he were alone at the office than at his flat, where he wouldn't be expected to have anything of great value. Well, who has seen the green eye of Calcutta besides you and Mr. Winkler? I'm not sure. Of course, almost anyone would have been able to recognize it. Because of the publicity in pictures when you brought it over here? Yes. Come to think of it, Blossom indicated he'd been much impressed with it. Wilbur Blossom? Yeah. You know him? He's been in the office many times. He and Albert were always bickering over pieces that either bickering? of us... Bickering? Well, it was really something of a joke. 
Albert always wanted some of Blossom's heirloom pieces, and Blossom wanted some of the finer things we had. Did he ever buy? Never. He always wanted us to put them up at auction or at a bargain price. Hardly our way of doing things, needless to say. When did you last see Blossom? My... Last Friday, I was busy with an important client, and from the back room where Albert worked, I remember hearing Blossom insist that Albert show him the emerald. What did he? I don't know. The silly argument got so noisy that I closed the door on them. Hmm. Oh, now wait. Certainly you aren't thinking that perhaps Wilbert Blossom... I'm not quite certain what I'm thinking, Mr. Blewett. <laughs> Item five, ten cents, phone call to Randy Singer. Not a thing, Johnny. One of the three names on Blossom's list is in Europe. The other two did go to the railroad auction, but purchased nothing. Randy, do a couple of things for me, will you? Like what? Phone whoever is stationed at Winkler's place that I want to look it over. Sure, everything is just as it was, including the poker that was used to kill him. Also, I want a copy of the picture of the trunk your lab boys took and the list of Blossom's friends. I'll have them waiting for you. And post a man at Blossom's place. Keep an eye on him. Huh? Yes, right away. Johnny, have you learned something that... No, no, just, uh, well, just for his protection, say. I'll talk to you later. Yeah, but I... Blossom. Yeah, Blossom. Maybe I hadn't given enough thought to the strange little character. Or to why the trunk with Winkler's body had been at his place. But if he were involved, why call me in? Cover up? Possibility. But Wilbert Blossom kill a man? Yeah, maybe he could. Maybe he did. I'd better see him as soon as I get through with the inspection of Winkler's apartment. Mr. Dollar? Oh, hi, officer. Did Sergeant Singer call and tell you that... He's on the phone here in the Winkler apartment now. Wants to talk to you. Says it's very urgent, sir. Okay, thanks. Johnny Dollar. Johnny, how did you know? Huh? The man I sent to cover Blossom's house for you got there too late. What? Whoever got in and attacked the poor old coot got away. Attacked? Blossom? Yeah, I really did a job on him. Johnny? <sighs> okay, Randy. Thanks. Act two of yours truly, Johnny Dollar, in just a moment. Democracy. As everyone knows, democracy means many things. Self-rule of the people, a higher standard of living, freedom of speech, press and religion, rights and privileges, liberty. But the most vital promise of democracy is mankind's right to dignity. For it is through the dignity of man that democracy has given mankind its greatest legacy of freedom. Now, act two of yours truly, Johnny Dollar and the Blooming Blossom Matter. Expense account item six, two dollars and a quarter for a fast taxi ride to 18th Precinct Police Headquarters. All right. As soon as I got your call, Johnny, I sent a uniformed man over to Blossom's house. From the way you talked, I thought maybe you suspected him. Yeah, Randy, I'm afraid I did. Boy, how wrong can you be? Anyhow, when he got there, he found the front door open and Blossom lying in the dark hallway. Where's Blossom now? In the hospital, but he's okay, just bruised up a bit. They're letting him out. Fingerprints? Anything to go on? The lab's checking on the prints right now. Uh-huh. Let me know. Yeah. Anything else? Nope. So, now let's find out who tried to put Blossom out of the way and we'll have the guy who killed Winkler. And stole the hundred thousand worth of emerald, then shipped Winkler's body to Blossom. Oh, uh, and by the way, here's the picture of the trunk you asked for and the three names Blossom gave me. Harrison, Norton, and Scatterday. What are you going to do with them? Randy. Hmm? Suppose the man who attacked Blossom is the one who did all the rest. You got a better suppose? Well, look, Randy, whoever wielded that poker on Winkler couldn't have been very strong. A really hefty wallop would have bent it out of shape. And the lab agrees with you. But, of course, it didn't take much of a blow to finish off old Winkler. He didn't weigh much over 100 pounds, you know. Yeah. Any strong arm could have finished him off easily and without messing up the whole apartment. And don't forget, whoever did him in also put him in the trunk and delivered it to Blossom's house. But why? Yeah. Yeah, and where's the emerald? That's what you should be worried about. A hundred grand worth of worry for your insurance company. Now, what are you going to do with that picture of the trunk and the list of Blossom's friends? Oh, yeah, sure. Hmm? I'll see you later. 
Item seven, five dollars and a half for a taxi to the warehouse of the Canyon City and Metropolitan Railroad over in Jersey. There I finally managed to track down a man who knew something about their occasional auction sales of unclaimed baggage and stuff. Insurance investigator, eh? That's right, Mr. McKinney. One of those boys with a fancy expense count, eh? Well, that's a matter of opinion. Look, you had an auction sale here last Saturday, didn't you? That's right. Handled it myself. Want to know something about uh, something we sold off? Exactly. Then I'm your man. Always remember all about every single item I sell and who bought it and, and all about them. That's fine. Because I want to know if any of the names on this list bought from you on Saturday. Yeah. Randolph Harrison. Man by the name of Harrison buy anything? Mm, no. How about Percival Wentworth Scatterday? Nope. Ellsworth Norton. Nope. You sure, Mr. McKinney? I'm sure. How, uh, how about Blossom? That a man's name? Yes, Wilbert Blossom. Well? No, sir. Nope, never heard of him. And like I told you, I never forget the stuff I sell or the fellas I sell it to. Wait. This picture of a trunk. Have you ever seen this trunk? Well, yeah. Did you sell this trunk on Saturday? Yes, I did. To whom? Come on, man, it's important. Well, uh, now, I was real early in the sale. Yeah, before most of the people got here. Uh, bought this trunk and had it sent to his apartment in New York. And his name? Well, it was a funny kind of name. Uh, Blinky or Winky or... Uh, oh, no. Winkler. Winkler. That was it. Albert Winkler. Item eight, two dollars, two drinks for myself at the nearest bar. But they didn't help to kill my feeling of utter frustration. Item 9, 550, taxi back to 18th Precinct headquarters in New York for want of a better place to go. Oh, it's about time you got here, Johnny. Oh? We matched up the prints we found after Blossom was attacked. You know who made them? Yeah, here's his card. Carlo Bernasconi. Any reckon? A couple of a dozen arrests, only one conviction. Anything to do with jewelry? Better. Accessory to a hijack operation a couple of years ago. He drove the truck. Hey. Sure. Got a mugshot of him? We got him. Downstairs. Come on, I'll take you down. Randy, what's he look like? Like you'd expect the truck driver to look, big husky brute. Has he admitted anything? Well, the threat of a murder charge made him talk, all right, but none of it makes any sense. Of course it doesn't. But he's our boy, all right. He killed Winkler, beat up Blossom. I thought your lab decided whoever killed Winkler was a small fella. Mm, yeah, I So the theory about the same man killing Winkler and beating up Blossom doesn't work. But Johnny, holy... Come on down, let's talk to this Bernice Cone. After I make a phone call. Huh? Who to? Yeah? Get me a man named McKinney, Canyon City and Metropolitan Railroad Warehouse over in Jersey. Make it fast, please. Yes, sir. Hey, you been over there, Johnny? Just before I got here. Did you find out anything? No, but I'm going to now. Like what? Randy, for the first time, this whole thing is beginning to make sense. Here's your party. Mr. McKinney? That's me. This is Johnny Dollar, remember? Sure do. Good. Say, now... I've been reading in the paper since you left here about that body found a trunk over there in New York. Yeah, well, look. In that same, is that the same trunk you was over here asking about? Yes. Now, you told me that trunk was bought by a man who gave his name as Winkler. That's right. Doctor. Do you remember what he looked like? Sure do. Why, I can give it to you as accurate as if it was in the police files. Well? Height, uh, mm, five foot nine, maybe nine and a half. Go on. Weight, between 155 and 58. You see, when I was young, I worked with a carny show guessing weight and height, and if I didn't guess it right... Yeah, okay, okay. Now, how about the uh, color of the eyes? <laughs> well, I noticed them because of the way he squinted through them thick, old-fashioned steel glasses. Thanks, here. Mac. I'm sending you a ten-spot in the next mail. Well, now. Well, Johnny? Come on, Randy. Let's get down and see this Bernasconi. You find something out new? Yeah, and I don't like it. I don't like it. Now, look, Bernasconi, you're in plenty of trouble for the assault on Blossom. Maybe even more. But I'm the man who can save you from a murder rap, if you'll answer a couple of questions. Ah, uh, sure. I told the cops... All right, all right. Did you pick up and deliver a trunk yesterday morning? Sure, I told him. For a guy named Winkler. You got the trunk from Winkler? Sure, at his apartment on East... What did he look like? How tall? Uh, maybe five, eight, or ten. What? Johnny... Slight that... build or heavy or what? I'd say about medium. Maybe 150 pounds. Johnny. Now, look, mister. Now, wait a minute. You look. Did you deliver that trunk to a man named Blossom? Sure. At 825 East 73rd Street. What did he look like? Him I never seen. I knew it. He hollered from a window that the door was open and I should put the trunk in the living room. <laughs> what a junk house. But you must have seen him later when you came back and assaulted him. It was night then. 
When he come to the door, I just slugged him and let him lay there. Then I went inside where the lights was on to look for... Well, I looked for the big rock I'd read about in the paper. But then I heard a prowl car coming, so I beat it. Trunk wasn't there anyway. Okay, Bernasconi. See you later, Randy. Now, just a minute. Hey, and what about me? You said it... Item 10, 90 cents, taxi to Wilbert Blossom's old brownstone house on East 73rd. Come in, come in, Johnny. Thanks, Mr. Blossom. All recovered from your beating? Oh, of course I am. Here, sit down, sit down. You, uh, you said you wanted to help me on this case. Oh, yes. Yes, indeed. Why, this chance to work with a man I consider the finest insurance investigator in the world. Yeah. That's why I called you when I got the trunk with Mr. Winkler's body in it. Mr. Blossom, why don't you All tell the my truth? my drab, dull life, I've wanted to be a detective, an investigator. And this was my chance. My chance to... Tell the truth, did you say? <sighs> Mr. Blossom, listen to some facts for a minute and see what conclusions you draw from them. Oh, deductions. <laughs> like a detective. To begin with, this house of yours is so full of, well, junk. I told you, Johnny, I like things. I like things. But it also has a lot of fine paintings, sculpture, china, jewelry. Oh, I like all sorts of things, especially if they're fine and rare and bargains. <laughs> like the green eye of Calcutta? Oh, the most beautiful emerald in the world. And I would conclude that you'd do just about anything to have that stone. Yes, sir, Johnny. I'd reach the same conclusion. Okay. Now, when Albert Winkler and the Emerald disappeared, it was in the papers that Inter-Allied had written policies on them. Conclusion? Yes, sir. I would deduce that you would be called in. Wouldn't it be smart, then, if the killer was afraid I'd eventually get around to him anyway? Wouldn't it be smart for him to call me in and offer to help me? As a cover-up for what he'd done? Oh, yes. Yes, yes, indeed. Or at least he'd think it would. Oh, yes, I, I guess he thought it would. Another thing, Mr. Blossom. Oh? What is it, Johnny? The body was packed in the trunk with old newspapers. Like these you keep piled around. Oh, yes, yes. And I would deduce... So obvious that both Randy Singer and I overlooked them completely. Oh, well, there are so many things piled around it. <laughs> you couldn't be expected this. Johnny. Yeah. What really made you decide that... Uh... Well, I'd like to know. All right. Albert Winkler was a frail little old man, about 4'11", not much over 100 pounds. Yes, he was. But the man who bought the trunk and had it sent to Winkler's apartment, who gave his name as Winkler, that man was about 5'9", 155 pounds. And he wore thick, old-fashioned, steel-rimmed glasses. Oh, but, Johnny, I can't see without them. And there's the truck driver. The man who ordered the trunk delivered to this house gave his name as Winkler, too. But Winkler was dead by then. Dead from a blow inflicted not by some big bruiser, but by somebody of, say, your bill. Oh, that awful truck driver who thought the emerald would be in the trunk and came here to steal it and who beat me up. I suppose you want the emerald. Yeah. Here, Johnny, I, I kept it in this old coffee pot uh, that I picked up at an auction sale. Real bargain, too. Oh, isn't it a beautiful stone? Oh, if only Mr. Winkler would have sold it to me. At a bargain, that is. Then none of this would have happened. Well, I guess we better go now, haven't we? It's such a silly thing, me trying to act like a detective. I guess I didn't even make a very good killer, did I? Why? Just this overpowering passion to have things? Maybe. Well, maybe it was just a reaction. A last desperate attempt to some way, any way, break from a lifetime of... Lonely, dull, drab idleness. I don't know. But for some crazy reason, I feel sorry for the funny little old character who turned killer. 
Expense account total, including incidentals and fare, back to Hartford, $61.55. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Now, here is our star to tell you about next week's story. Next week, a case so simple, so easy, so obvious, that it proves almost impossible to solve. Join us, won't you? Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, starring Bob Bailey, originates in Hollywood. It is produced and directed by Jack Johnstone, who also wrote tonight's story. Heard in our cast were Howard McNear, Herb Ellis, Herb Bygren, Junius Matthews, Herb Butterfield, Frank Gersel, and Johnny Jacobs. Musical supervision is by Jerry Goldsmith. Be sure to join us next week, same time and station, for another exciting story of yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Dan Coverly speaking. Johnny Dollar has come to you through the worldwide facilities of the United States Armed Forces Radio and Television Service. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, with The Blooming Blossom Matter, starring Bob Bailey, from January 20th, 1957. Also in the cast, Herb Vigran, Howard McNear, yes, the Howard McNear who played Floyd the Barber on The Andy Griffith Show, Herb Butterfield, and Junius Matthews, as heard over CBS. All of the classic radio shows we present on this series are direct from the master recordings. I have more than 100,000 original radio episodes under license from the owners and estates, and we make them available via digital download or on CD through our Classic Radio Club. By joining the Classic Radio Club, you'll receive 10 superior-sounding classic radio shows sent directly to you each month, along with detailed liner notes and photos of the stars. You'll receive your first 10 classic radio shows for only $1, and you can cancel at any time. To learn more about the Classic Radio Club, log on to ClassicRadioClub.com. That's ClassicRadioClub.com. I'll have another detective episode of yours truly, Johnny Dollar, after this short break. Welcome back to the Classic Radio Theater. I'm your host, Carl Amari. Time now for another episode of yours truly, Johnny Dollar. After finishing a case in Miami, Dollar drives to Sarasota, where he meets a mysterious woman and investigates a jewelry store robbery. Here's the big date matter starring Robert Reddick as yours truly, Johnny Dollar, from June 18, 1961. Johnny Dollar. So you've stayed on there in Miami. That's right. Good. And if I had any sense, I'd stick around in Florida the rest of the winter. Why not? Instead of going on back to the snow and cold of Connecticut. And who are you? This is Don. Don Boomhauer, Johnny. Don. Yes, sir. 
Right across the state from you, here in Sarasota. Well, Don, it's nice to hear from you. How did you know I was down here? From Pat McCracken at Universal Adjustment Bureau. Uh-oh. So I told him I'd try to catch up with you before you head up on north again. I think I will. Why? Yes, sir, nor rain, nor sleet, nor snow, nor anything else shall keep this insurance investigator from heading home. Huh? What are you talking about? Getting away from here in one piece. What? Well, you're still holding down the office of Tri-State Life and Casualty, aren't you? Of course, and that's exactly why... Well, I love you dearly, Don. I've been paid a lot of nice, fat commissions by that company of yours. Exactly, and it's because of that very But the last two or three cases I've handled for you have been so risky, so dangerous, and so darned unprofitable. Johnny! No, please, Don, let me duck this one. But all I need is five minutes with you. Five minutes? That's right. Well, what kind of a case could I possibly cover in five minutes? None at all that I know of. Well, then? Did I say anything about taking on a case? Well, no. But I'll tell you this. Five minutes with me over here may very well keep me from getting involved in something pretty serious. Yeah, like what? Oh, like maybe spending a few years in a federal prison, something like that. Oh, now you're kidding. Am I? Well, aren't you? Come on now, Don. No, no, no. You come on. Over here to Sarasota. Well, just five minutes with you, huh? Yes, Johnny. Well, I still think you're kidding. No, Johnny. But okay, Don, I'll see you. I'm sure it's a gag. Has to be. And yet, coming from Don Boomhauer... CBS Radio brings you Bob Reddick in the exciting adventures of the man with the action-packed expense account, America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to the Tri-State Life and Casualty Insurance Company office in Sarasota, Florida. Following is an account of expenses incurred during my investigation of the Big Date Matter. Expense account item one, 2020, plane fare, tips and taxi. In a little over an hour from the time I left Miami, I was in Sarasota talking to Don Boomhauer in his office near the foot of Main Street. Sure, Johnny, simply because I asked you to. Wrong, Don. Only reason I agreed to come on over here on my way back to Hartford is because it means a little more time away from the snow up there. Yeah, Florida's pretty nice this time of the year, isn't it? Handle a jewelry store robbery there in Miami, huh? Yes, and almost got my head shot off, which is why I'd like to be able to relax for a while. But now, what is this case you seem to think I can solve in five minutes for you? I told you I have no case for you. Yes, I guess you did. All I want you to do is to check over some, uh, some of these figures for me. Uh, Don, you know the only kind of figures that I give a hang about. I know, I know. The ones on pretty girls. <laughs> Why not? After all, just because you're a staid old married man. Don't or... knock it, Johnny. How is Francis, by the way? Uh, fine, just fine. You give him my best. Huh? Oh, do it yourself. I told her that if I could persuade you to come here at all, I was sure I could get you to stick around for a few days. How about it? We'll see. Now, about those figures you mentioned. Oh, yeah. Uh, Johnny, have you kept any account of the monies we've paid you this past year in commissions? I can tell you down to the last penny. Good, because if it agrees with these figures here, all you have to do is sign this statement and the Bureau of Internal Revenue will quit threatening to send me up the river. So that's what the big emergency is. Yeah. Huh? One of my part-time clerks balled up some of the paid-out items a couple of months ago and... The tax man just wants proof that we actually gave you this money. So, if this figure agrees with yours... And it does. Good, good. Well, then take this pen, affix your lawful legal signature, and try for once to make it legible. Sure. Under the desk, Johnny. Those shots are right outside in the street. You're telling me? Move over so I... Hey. What? Shots, did you say? What's the matter with you? Can't you hear them? Well, just take a good look out there. Come on, let's go and Get see. Get our heads blown. Hey, what the dickens? Sure, it's that car out there with a the pretty little blonde sitting in it, backfiring. Son of a gun, you're right. Yeah, but I guess we're not the only ones who thought they were shots. Oh, you mean that mob that's gathering? Yes. Yeah, it looks like half the town has come to see what it's all about. 
Hey, I hope they don't lean against my plate glass window and break it in. Look at that crowd. Poor gal. Yeah, pretty too, isn't she? Yes, come on. I'll see if I can give her a hand. Come on, Don. Oh, why not? Now, I, I don't think I know her, Johnny. Well, that's too bad. But she might do anyway. Might do? For what? That's a date for you. What else? A date? Sure. That wingding that Francis and I are taking you to out at the yacht club on Bird Key tonight. Oh? Sure. She is kind of cute looking, isn't she? Uh-huh. Nice looking car, too. Brand new. And after all, you're going to need some transportation. Well, come on, I'll see if I can find out what's wrong with that bus of hers. <laughs> sure, Johnny. You go right ahead. Okay, I will. And purely incidentally, find out if she has a nice evening dress she'd like to show off tonight. Sure, why not? A number of years ago, it was said that in spite of the large population of this planet, men and women remain the most inaccessible things on it. Today, we see this lack of understanding among peoples of the world reflected in headline stories. But it isn't because the people of the world are enemies. All people want to be friends. Long before the termination of World War II, Reverend Eugene Wood, a Methodist minister from Oceanside, California, went into a Scottsdale, Arizona camp where German prisoners of war were interned and offered his services to the imprisoned men. Among other things, Reverend Wood taught the men English, and he taught them about the United States of America. During the following years, after the men had been repatriated to their native Germany, nearly half of the internees corresponded frequently with Reverend Wood. Those men expressed a unique understanding of the people and the country of the United States of America. This great feeling of friendship and understanding prompted the minister to make a pilgrimage to Europe to seek out the men he had befriended in the prisoner of war camp in Arizona. This gesture on Reverend Wood's part gained him a fantastic welcome everywhere he went. In all the places he visited, he spread the gospel of love and friendship and had it returned to him. There were no enemies, only men with the love of freedom, the right of all men. By the time I got outside the door of Don Boomhauer's office, it looked as though half the town was gathered there. By the time I got to the car where the cute little blonde gal was fighting the ignition switch to cut the engine, stop it from backfiring, three quarters of the town was present, including the merchants and customers from all the stores and cafes and hotels there on Main Street. The folks had come to see the fun and, of course, offer all kinds of unhelpful suggestions. Well, don't just stand there, please. Can't you help me get this thing stopped? Well, can't you turn off that switch? I mean, the ignition key? No, and I've already broken two fingernails trying to. Well, all right, then. Pull the release for the hood. The what? Under the dash, there to the left of the steering post. You see it? Oh, this? This little handle? That's it. Give it a pull so oh. I can go around to the front and raise the hood. Oh, now, what good will that do? Oh, that awful noise. Well, if I get the hood open, I can pull a wire off the distributor and stop the engine. Distributor? What's the distributor? Just pull on that little handle. Uh, this one? That one. Go oh. ahead, pull it. Okay, now if I can get the hood open, I okay. excuse me, excuse me. Oh, I hope so, and I surely would appreciate it. Right here now. Now, what the oh. Sam Hill? Don't tell me this thing is oh, stuck too. Hey, now you mind telling me what's the big idea around here, officer? That's right. What do y'all think you're trying to do around here? What's the matter with you, anyhow? Now look, help me get this hood open. It's stuck. You mean it isn't noisy enough for you as it is? Okay, fair now. I'll take yes, care of this, man. You and the boys get the crowd moving along. Okay, Sergeant. Now, you look here, buddy. Look, will you help me get this hood open so we can stop the engine? Stop the engine? Yes, sure. Now, come on. Well, you crazy or something, all you have to do is get that galleos in there behind the wheel to turn off the switch. I have been trying to. I told you, officer. That's just the trouble. You told me nothing. Now, look here. No, Sergeant. Well, that is the, the ignition switch is stuck. And I tell you, if you all don't cut out this here noise, bust off some of Wow, now listen, listen. Right this minute, I'm gonna haul you in the car and this gal friend of yours off to the, off to. Oh, oh. Yes, yes, it stopped. Well, that's that. Oh, it is, huh? Young lady, you get this car out of here and over to some repair shop before this happens again. You hear me now? Oh, yes, sir. I will. Oh, well, now wait, miss. I miss. Know what you did to stop it from making that awful oh, noise. Oh, nothing. Absolutely nothing. And but also, now I... I'm uh... terribly upset about it happening right here on the main street. Okay, but... okay, okay. Just get it out of here. Uh-huh. 
Vanna. Yeah? Clear this crowd off the street. Right, Thanks, Sergeant. Awfully. Oh, my pleasure. And uh, maybe I'd better go along with you to make sure it doesn't do it again, oh, huh? Oh, no, it runs fine now, but thanks anyway. Hey, did I tell you to get this thing out of here? Uh, yes, sir. Right away, officer. Oh, no, wait, wait, please. Wait, nothing. You go on, miss. Yes, sir. Bye. Uh, look, look listen, listen. I want to... I just want... Miss, miss... The only thing you want to do is keep out of jail. Officer. The idea of letting that thing backfire out here on Main Street. What, do you think I had anything to do with it? If I had any sense, I'd lock you up right now. Oh, now, wait a minute, officer. Go on, get on your way. I don't know who you are, and the only way I'm going to find out is by putting your name on the blotter at headquarters for disturbing the peace. What? And I'm going to do just that unless you make yourself mighty scarce around here in a hurry. Now, go on. Oh, now, look here, will you? Don't bother me. Man, I yes, guess Sergeant. you're all going back to your regular beat again. Okay, Sergeant. All right, you men. Well, I guess we'll that's that. Okay. Well, it doesn't look as though you did too well, Johnny. Well, I didn't really have a chance to talk to her. Yeah, that's too bad. Yes, it is. But she's a living doll, all right. Are you sure you don't know who she is, Don? No, nope, sorry. But don't worry, Johnny. I'll round you up some kind of a date for the affair at the club. Now, let's see. Maybe Bill Hall knows somebody nicer. Forster Harmon. What's the matter? Hmm? I said, what's the matter? Oh, um... Nothing. Nothing. I, um... I was just thinking. Oh. And I'll bet she dances like a dream. I wonder what her name is. No, we'll never know, I'm afraid. Now, don't bank on that. But now, if you'll just sign this statement that you came over here to sign... Oh, sure. Here, here. Here, use this pen. All right. There you are. <laughs> Legible, too. Now, I'll call Frances and tell her that you're staying over with us. If only I'd noticed the license on her car. Then I'll see what charming, good-looking girl around this town is available. But I doubt if even the police And did. would like the famous Johnny Dollar for a date tonight. Obviously, that one cop didn't know her. What? Huh? Hardly dare to ask him anyway. Johnny. Which means that probably none of the other police who were there would be of any help either. What are you talking about? That girl, my date for tonight. Oh, now, Johnny, I was only kidding about her. Well, I'm not. But you don't even know her. I will. And chances are that if, if you should find her and... Proposition her for a date, you'd get your handsome face slapped. I'll risk it. Yeah? What if she turns out to be somebody's wife? No wedding ring. Oh, you did notice that. I noticed that, among other things. But how are you going to find her? Well, if she's still here in Sarasota, if she lives here... Oh, now, Johnny, this is all a little... Okay, okay, go ahead and find her. How? Well, I have an idea. Yeah? What? May I borrow your car for a little while? Sure. Yeah. Yeah, help yourself. Okay. When do I see you again? Well, just give me a little time. All you want. Up until dinner time when you'll have to pick me up here. Now what? Yes, I see. Stopping at that jewelry store across the street. Here comes another prowl car from the other end of the... Uh-oh, Johnny. Yeah, I see him. Same policeman you were arguing with a few minutes ago. Only why is he coming in here? I'm sure I don't know. Officer. All right now, Buster. What? Just put up your hands so I can slip these cuffs on you. Sorry, Mr. Boomhouse. What are you talking about? You think I don't know now what you all were up to out there, you and that gal? What? Creating all that disturbance out in the street with that backfiring car. Now, officer... So as to draw the crowd, so as your confederate could have a clear field to rob that jewelry store across the street. Put out your hands, sir. Oh, now, hold everything That up. store was robbed while the mob was gathered around the car? Thanks to this man's diversionary tactics, somebody walked out with must have been sixty or $70,000 worth of watches and pins and rings and everything. So they called us up. I wrote the insurance on that store. Now, if you don't want to come along peaceful, mister... Oh, now, whoa, now. Yeah? Yes, officer, wait. What's that, Mr. Boomhouse? Well, don't you know this man? This is Johnny Dollar. Johnny Dollar? That's right. Y'all mean... That freelance insurer... Well, you, you, you mean the friend of the lieutenant that comes down here now and then to... It, this is Johnny Dollar? Here, officer. My credentials? I have known him for years, officer. He, he's Johnny Dollar, all right. Yeah, and these papers all look... 
Yeah, but if he was out there by that car... So, Don, you insured that store, huh? Does that mean I'm on expense account as of now? As of now. Yeah, well, now... Fine, uh... fine. And as long as I have the keys to your car... Well, I'll see you later. Yeah, now, you wait a minute, mister. Yeah? Unless I can get Lieutenant Phillips to identify you. Oh, he'll be glad to, I'm sure. Yeah, now, you all wait. You're the only suspect I got. Oh, no, you haven't. By the time the officer had recovered his wits enough to barge out the door after me, I'd raced around to the back of his office and taken off in Don Boomhauer's car. Stop number one was the car agency that sold the same make the gorgeous blonde had been driving, that backfired there on Main Street. No, they hadn't seen either her or the car in the repair shop. Anyhow, one of our nice new models kick up and backfire like that? No, sir. Then I made the rounds of every car agency in town. Nothing. All right, that clinched it for me. I mean, the reason for that car acting up as it had. But how to find it, if, that is, it was still in Sarasota. I drove aimlessly all over the place, hoping and praying that somehow I'd just happen to spot it. Yes, and hoping that Don Boomhauer had been able to explain things so the police wouldn't track me down and cramp my style. I racked my brain for some idea, some idea how to find that girl and her car. And I guess the strain on my so-called brain made me a little foolish. For I suddenly found that I'd driven way out of town, way out on Bee Ridge Road. I started ahead into a little side road on the edge of the swamp to turn around. And then... Well, don't tell me there isn't luck in solving these cases. Stalled there a couple of hundred yards up that dirt road was the car I'd been looking for. And standing beside it, waving for somebody to stop and help her, was the luscious little blonde. Somebody came along to help me get this old car started. Well, hi there. Why, it's you. The nice man who tried to help me back in town. None other. Well, you're certainly my good Samaritan today. Well, what seems to be the trouble? I don't know. It just stopped. And neither one of... I, 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 I don't know a thing about cars except how to drive them. Well, maybe I should have gone along with you after that trouble back in town. Huh? Well, somebody who knows something about these things should have... Well, this time I see you got the hood released to work. Uh, yes, I, I just pulled out that little old handle and it popped open. Yeah. Well, now, let's see. Just, um, how did you happen to be coming out this way? Oh, maybe I was out looking for you. Oh, why? Well, when I first saw you there in town, I thought maybe I'd ask you for a date tonight. <laughs> and don't hand me a crack in the face for saying it. Why should I? Well, thanks. You're cute. What's your name? Johnny. Johnny Dollar. You're... Well, that's a funny name. Uh, gee, Johnny, I, I hope you can get this run again for me. Well, I'll take a look. Uh-huh. So I took a look, with one eye watching her. But she didn't make a move, just stood there smiling. I replaced the ignition cable that had jogged loose. And then I saw it. That simple little device that meant this car had been rigged for backfire deliberately. Just like the old Chicago mobsters did it in order to cover the sound of gunshots. And then, then I thought I heard a noise inside the car. Somebody hidden behind the front seat, maybe? When I walked around and opened the back door... I see. Yeah, that's right, Mr. Johnny Dollar. You see a 38, and it's aimed straight at your belly. Sh shall I pick up a rock and slug him, Jim? Well, just relax, sir. And that sack in there full of the loot from the jewelry store? What else? Did he fix the car, sir? Yeah, I think so, Jim. Oh, it's fixed, all right. So if you two would like to continue on your merry way... Sure. Sure, after I take care of you and sink you in that car of yours in the swamp... Go ahead, Jim, and let's get out of here, Yeah, huh? yeah, sure. Turn around, Dollar. Okay, now, Jim, listen. Turn around, so I can be nice to you. Give it to you in the back of the head so you won't know when it hits you. Oh, no, 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 wait, Jimmy, look. What? Look, th that, that car that's coming. Well, it looks like they followed me after it. It's a foul car. The cops? Uh-huh. Blast him, Jim, come on, Too late, him. baby. Uh, uh, 
Hey, you okay, sir? Everything under control, Mr. Dollar. Sure, Sergeant. And I suppose I might have known you'd be tailing me. Yeah, well, yes, sir. Well, thanks. I... Thanks very much. Well, it's a pleasure, Mr. Dollar. And now, uh, what about her? Johnny? Now, listen, Johnny. Well, you see, I kind of asked her for a date, officer. Oh, yes, he did. But well, how about if she has a date with you instead? Say, at headquarters... So, thanks to sheer luck and clean living, of course, I'll pick up a commission on the recovery of all that jewelry. Expense account total, only that 20 bucks or so for the extra plane ride. What a life. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. They say that clothes make the man. A smart-looking uniform can do even more. And oddly enough, military uniforms usually have been patterned after the civilian clothes of the day, with some pretty fancy additions, of course. The buckskin-clad rifleman soldier of 1775 was dressed the same as the frontier trapper. The naval seaman, the same as the merchant sailor. It wasn't until the new American government was able to get enough money scraped together that uniforms started to get fancy. But the uniforms weren't really uniform. The infantry had one color combination, and the artillery had another. Even most regiments were dressed differently. Some uniforms were blue and white. Some were red and white. And others were red, white, and blue. Oh, yes, it looked like a pretty patriotic army. But each man also made an excellent target. It was more than a hundred years before it was decided that all the frills and colors, plumes and gold braid would make a better dress uniform than fighting clothes. As battle tactics and weapons changed, so did the uniforms. Today, the American fighting man has a greater chance of survival in a uniform that blends with nature. And it's a uniform to be proud of for the great American heritage it represents. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, starring Bob Reddick, is written by Jack Johnstone. Produced and directed by Bruno Zerato Jr. Musical supervision by Ethel Huber. Heard in our cast were Madeline Sherwood as Sally, Robert Dryden as the sergeant, Carl Frank as Don Boomhauer, Larry Haynes as Jim, and Larry Robinson as the car dealer. Be sure to join us next week, same time and station, for another exciting story of yours truly, Johnny Dollar. This is Art Hanna speaking. Johnny Dollar has come to you through the worldwide facilities of the United States Armed Forces Radio and Television Service.
And that's yours truly, Johnny Dollar, starring Robert Reddick from June 18, 1961. Also in the cast, Madeline Sherwood, Carl Frank, Robert Dryden, and Larry Haynes, as heard over CBS. Stick around, I'll give you our lineup for episode 71 of the Classic Radio Theater after this short break. Next time on episode 71 of the Classic Radio Theater, brought to you by the Bradford Exchange, we'll hear two sci-fi episodes of X-1, so don't miss it. To reach me and to learn more about the Classic Radio Club, visit ClassicRadioClub.com. Be sure to tune in to our next show. Thanks for listening. 